0: Oh! starting a new series that we're going to be doing all throughout the summer uh, called Invisible Made Visible. Um, And and so we're going to look at what God's like even though we can't see Him. Um, The Gospel of John, when he begins to write about Jesus, says no one's ever seen God. And so if that's true, how in the world can we get to know Him? How, How can we see Him visibly if this God is invisible? So I'd actually like to start off this morning by asking you that question and see what you would respond. If God is invisible, how is it, it, it... Let me ask you this way. If if you wanted to know what God is like, what would you do? What should you do? Look at Jesus. You've read my notes, James. <laughs> Look at the church, yeah. the The church has got... Yeah, right, yeah, 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 and sometimes we're a real bad representation of what God looks like, but that's what the church is, that's the whole reason for the church, we're going to talk a little bit about that towards the end today, is that the church is God's, that Jesus, it's Jesus' body in the world, and so, yeah, for the world to know what Jesus is like, to know what God is like, uh, biblically, they're to look at the church and to see what the church is like. What What else would you... If somebody says, I want to know what God's like, what would you tell them to do? Pray? Yeah. Google it. Yeah. (laughs) Google everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the order and the intricacies of the human body, of uh, nature itself, the ecological system. Yeah, Romans one says that all those things actually display the glory of God. That they've been put there so that men would know what God is like. So that men, so that all of us are actually without excuse for not knowing what He's like. Right? Yeah. Well, in a very special way, um, Jesus is to be the picture of what God is like. He is the invisible made visible. So Paul, he he, early apostle, he writes this letter to the church in a city called Colossae. And, and, and here's what he tells them about what it looks like to know who God is. He says, uh, the Son, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him. You hear what he's saying? He's saying if you want to know what God is like, you need to look at Jesus. There's, There's no way to get around it. You can't look anywhere else and find a fuller picture of what God is like than to look at Jesus. He is the invisible made visible, the very image of God. And so th- this idea, this concept of invisible made visible, this is what we're going to be looking at throughout the entire summer. We're going to be unpacking this kind of week by week. Because if you want to know what God's like, you're supposed to look at Jesus. If you want to know how God handles something, what, what he, he, how He works in the world, You you look at the way Jesus works in the world. If you want to know what it looks like to follow God even, you look at Jesus and the way that he followed him. Anything that you need to know about who God is, you look at Jesus. I I remember when I was growing up, um, I was having a conversation with my cousins at my aunt and uncle's house, and we were talking about God and, uh, and whether or not you could see him. And I was arguing that you couldn't see God, that nobody could see God, and my cousin, who was, I guess, a little bit more theologically astute than I was at that age, um, said back to me, no, you're supposed to look at Jesus. That Jesus is God. And I remember that my, my uncle had a, a framed picture of Jesus over the mantle. And it was like one of those like, super pious Jesuses, you know? Like the, he's you know, face up with the, the, you know, the light shining down on him. And I was like, if that's who God is, that's really weird, you know? I'm just being really, like, you know, as honest as a kid normally is. And I'm going, how is that so? Uh, but, but we need to, to think not just in terms of what Jesus looks like from the outside, but, but the character and the quality of who he is. So if you know this person, this one named Jesus, then, then you know who God is. You know what he's like. And so each week what we're going to do is we're going to look at a different attribute of God, a different characteristic of who God is, and we're also going to look at how that attribute finds its reality in the life and the work and in, in the story of Jesus Christ and the way that he lived his life out. Uh, and, and so each week we're going to connect the dots to those things. And I hope, this my real hope is that as we do this throughout the summer, you'll really start to ask yourself, do I know this God? Like, do I really understand all that he is? And and the whole purpose for us taking the entire summer to do this is because there's a lot, I think, that we don't really believe about who God is. There's a lot out there. We think we know him, but when it comes down to it, when we're actually presented with the full picture of who he is, we go, I had no idea. And so I really hope that that's what's going to happen for all of us as we do that. And so the first thing that we're going to cover today, the first one that Paul talks about when he talks about Jesus, is that Jesus is the creator of everything. He's the creator of all things. In fact, he's the only one who wasn't created. Now if you sit around and think about that for a while, that will just blow your mind, right? If you you spend enough time just trying to think about Jesus being the, the eternal Son of God, who was never created. He came to earth and put flesh on for us, but before that, He was infinitely there. From eternity past until eternity future, He has always been, and He's the only one that can claim that right. I mean, that, that'll just, that'll fry you for a while if you sit down and, and, and think about that. But that he, he came in a particular time and, and, and place in history. So what does Paul tell us about the fact that Jesus is the creator of all things? And, here, and here's maybe the, the deeper question, the one that you guys are probably more interested in. Why in the world does it matter? Why does it matter that he's, he's the one who created all things? I hope that we're going to tease out some of those things. But w- with each of these kind of ideas about who Jesus is and why it matters that he's the creator, I'm going to ask you a question that goes along with it. So I want you to consider the question... And then as we go through each of these sections to consider how the answer to uh, what we're going to talk about maybe addresses your particular answer to that question. So, so the first statement, the first thing that we're going to look at is that because Jesus created everything, everything points to Him. Everything is about Him. Everything leads in the direction of who Jesus is. And so here's the question that I'd like you to consider when it comes to Jesus, when you think about God, when you think about Him, when you picture Him, when you think about what He's like, what picture comes to mind for you? Now, you don't need to answer that, but I want you to kind of capture that thought. What is God like when you think of Him? And, and, and here's the thing. I want you to be as honest as, as possible And so for some of you, that means that you had an instant reaction. It was kind of your gut reaction, and and that's the thing that you should hold to. For others of you, you, you may have thought of, like, the correct answer, but then you had a separate thought, and you go, oh, that one's probably the more accurate one in terms of the way that I believe. That one's a little bit more honest. Whatever is the more honest answer, I want you to cling to that and capture that in your heart for a minute, okay? Everybody got what that is? I don't see any heads nodding. Okay. <laughs> so, so let's see how Paul begins and ends this section with, about, with this revelation of who Jesus is. He says in Colossians 1, 15 and 19, the first and the last verse, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created. And then at the end he says, for God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him. Now, a lot of people have read that term, firstborn, and they get a little anxious about it. Or they come to some conclusions about it because um, I have one child and I have a, another on the way, and Caleb is my firstborn son. What does that mean? That means he is firstborn in terms of order. So, does that mean that Jesus was the firstborn in terms of order? No, it, it doesn't. What. what Paul is talking about here is that Jesus is the firstborn in terms of preeminence. When you were the firstborn son in a family, that means that you got everything. It was a really unfair system. And if you were like a a, a younger child in in like Old Testament biblical times, it really stunk to be you. (laughs) I mean, nobody wanted to be the younger son. And if you go back and read the account in Genesis, you find that all the way through. Is that the, the firstborn son was the one that got all the inheritance, all the special treatment, all the, the rights, everything. And the younger one was like, they had to go to their older brother and go, would you please take care of me too? You know? Um, and so what that means is when the Bible's talking about firstborn is that Jesus is the preeminent one. Um, So so just as Adam was the firstborn over creation in terms of the human race, it means that he was to have what? Dominion over it. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Exercise stewardship over my creation because I've put you in authority over it. So in the same way, Jesus is to have dominion over the entire earth. That's what it means for him to be the firstborn one. And so, what that means is the the entire story is about him. History itself leads to Jesus, points to him, is all about him, and ultimately for him. And so, here's where it kind of hits the road. Oftentimes, we can treat Jesus as if he's like a good addition to life. Right? I mean, he's like salt. I want my steak. Steak's a little bland. And so I'm going to add some salt to it. It's going to taste a whole lot better. We have, I mean, just to be honest, I've treated Jesus that way too. We treat Him as an addition to life rather than steak, you know? And so He isn't the, the thing which makes things taste better. He is the thing which gives us life. He is the One who all creation... Is about. And so, if we treat him as if he's a good add on to life, we're going to miss out on everything that he is. We're going to miss out on, on getting to know who this God is. Because the only way that you can come to know him as, the, as being creator for you is if you understand that everything is about him, everything is for him, including you. So, how do we know that that's the case? Well, because Jesus is the true image of what it looks like to be made in God's image. He he is the one that reflects God most clearly of all. If you read John 1, what he says is that in the beginning was God, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word is Jesus. And that Jesus makes the Father known. That's what he says a little bit later in the passage. So, If you want to know what he's like, you look at Jesus. And, and so he is, the, he is what it looks like to bear the image of God. If you remember in the, in, in the story of God, when who is the, who is the first image bearer? Do you remember? Adam, right? He said, I'm going to make man in my image, male and female. They're going to be in my likeness and in my image. The, what, what he means is they're going to be for the world A tiny picture of what I'm like. So that when people look at Adam and Eve, they're going to say, that's what God looks like. Now, how did they do with that? Not so hot, right? What did they end up doing? Screwing it all up, yeah. (laughs) In a sense, they made a decision, right? Which seems like such a subtle one. But what they chose was when they said, I'm going to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're essentially saying, I'm going to choose for myself the right to to decide what is right and wrong. In other words, I'm going to not reflect God. I'm going to reflect me because I believe that I'm God. And and so from that moment on, we have a, a broken humanity that reflects it in a very damaged way. And so the earth is supposed to look at human beings and go, that's what God's like. And instead they look at human beings and go, God can't be anything like that. Right? And we see that all throughout the story. Israel is the same way. It, the Bible actually says that Israel is God's chosen son to be his representation in the world to know what God's like. How did they do? Not so great, right? Right? God takes them out of Egypt, brings them through the Red Sea, gives them everything that they need. And what do they do? They complain and they whine that God isn't good, that He isn't sustaining, that He isn't giving them what they need. Over and over and over again. It's all about them, right? And so what happens? All the way through the story, we see imperfect images over and over and over again. And then suddenly, Jesus comes on the scene. And for the very first time, we see somebody who always does what is good, right, and perfect. We see in someone, the only man who submits to God in everything that he does, who glorifies God in all things that says, not my will but yours be done, even if it leads me to a cross where I have to pay for the sins of the entire world. It's all about you, right? And because Jesus said it's all about you, the Father, the father says back to the son after he's risen from the dead, it's all about him. Remember what he said? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's all about him. So remi- like, let's talk about what Jesus is like then. Okay? I, I asked you to have a picture of what God is like. What is Jesus like? You tell me. I mentioned a couple things, but what comes to mind when you think of Him? Compassion. Yeah. Wisdom. Yeah. Loving. Yeah. In fact, He loves His enemies, right? Those who curse Him, He blesses. Those who nail His hands to the cross, He forgives. He cries out on their behalf, Father, forgive them. Yeah. Yeah, he has a peace about him, right? There's a, a restfulness about him. He's not anxious for anything. Yeah. What else? heard something over here. Approachable. He's approachable. What do you mean by that? He doesn't reject us if we don't have anything to offer him, right? That's awesome. That's such a great point. I mean, the world only accepts you on the basis of what you can give the world. You need to be an upstanding member of society. You need to contribute. You need to do this and that. And you're defined by what you do. Jesus comes to children who in that day were seen as the, the lowest on the totem pole not valued by the world because they didn't have anything to offer. And he says, I want them to come to me. And you, you who think that your goodness is in what you do, you need to become like them and come to me as little children. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to approach him like with all of our stuff and go, here Jesus, here's what I've done. Or don't look at me, Jesus, because here's what I've done. Or here's what's been done to me. He says, come. What else? He's a servant, yeah. Yeah, he lays down his life for his friends. Yep. Yeah. It's amazing. So l- let me ask this then. Is there a difference between the picture of who God is and the way that you answered it in your heart when we began and this picture of who Jesus is when we talk about him? And if there is, which one needs to change? Probably our image, right? It's probably the one that we've decided that God looks like. Because do you hear what the creator of the universe is like? I mean, I hope you hear some of those things. He's compassionate and loving, He's a servant of all. He runs to us and pursues us even when we sin. He he is the gracious one, the, the, the compassionate one, the wisdom of God, the love and the justice of Him. All these things. That's why everything points to him, because he's the the only one who's worthy to be called the firstborn. That's why he's preeminent, and that's who God is. You know, for a a long time, um, just thinking about why God created me. For a long time, I thought that God probably created me because he had nothing better to do. Because for a long time I felt like, that, you know, there's so many people in the world and I'm so insignificant and sometimes it just seems like I'm in the corner while life is happening out there. Which led me to be angry and disappointed with people and depressed. Because I thought all these things of God and I thought you could not have created me for any real meaning, any real purpose. Have you ever thought about why God created you? In John 17, it says, God created you to know him who is preeminent over everything. God loves you enough that he wants you intimately to know his love for you expressed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ in all things. Do we believe that? Secondly, Jesus, uh, because Jesus created everything, everything is sustained by him. So not everything doesn't just point to him, but everything is sustained by him. Another way to say that is he has authority over all things. And so the question that I want to ask you attached to this is this. What are you currently facing that you need God's help for? What are you currently going through that just seems to be a larger weight than what you can bear on your own? I mean, You might be facing something financial and you think, I'm never going to overcome this. It's going to crush me. It feels like a boulder on top of me. You may be facing fear in many areas of life. Maybe something with your job or your boss or a relationship. What is it that you're facing? Now, Now listen to what Paul says about Jesus. For by him all things were created. And then he goes into detail. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things. What's contained in that? Everything, Everything, right? All means all. We're created by Him and for Him. He is before all things. And this is the the cap for me. And in Him, all things hold together. Think, Think of everything that Paul just covered. In that list. You can't conceive of anything that wasn't created by Jesus. Like, name some stuff. You know? Like, how about some visible things? Let's talk about that. Chairs. Building. What? Phones. Cars. Trees. Keep going. Platypuses. I knew somebody was going to come out with something really weird. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. Of course it would. Yeah. I mean, your mind could race with this for a while. All right. How about invisible things? Air, Air. Air. DNA, molecules. 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 molecules, dark matter, dust, dust. <laughs> <laughs> angels, demons, spirits. Love. Radio waves. Yeah. I mean, just so you don't miss stuff, he's like, let's go to the invisible things too. Just so we we make sure. Authorities. Can Can you think of a few authorities? Nations. Parents. Pastors. The law. The government. Bosses. Oh, I hear a few grunts there. <laughs> yeah, right. Not those. You know. All these things that you just mentioned, they were created by Him. All of them were created as a demonstration not of their power, but His power. All, th- And so because of that, He has authority over all those things. He even has the ability to sustain them in motion. That's who he is. I mean, he doesn't want us to miss this, right? He is supreme over all creation and sustains everything by the power of his hand. Um, One of the things that I love to do with Caleb is when we're uh, driving to school in the morning because I'm usually the one to to take him there, um, he, you know, he's really inquisitive and so he's constantly looking for stuff as we're driving there and so I try to play up on that a little bit when we're driving and I go Caleb what's that a school bus yes it's a school bus who made that school bus and then he'll go I don't know (gasps) Jesus did (laughs) what's that it's a tree who made that tree (gasps) Jesus did and we'll go on and on like this the, the, the entire way there. And, and here's the point. I want Him to look at the entire world and go, there is nothing that was not created by my Heavenly Father who sent His Son Jesus into the world to create all things. I want Him to look out in the world with wonder and go, who is this wonderful Maker? And Can I know Him? And so, usually at some point in the morning, on the way there, um, sometimes before, uh, when we're getting dressed, uh, I'll ask Caleb, Caleb, who made you? And he goes, this, this one morning last week, he goes, <gasps> Mommy. <laughs> 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 and I, I don't know how you argue with a two year old at that point, because he's, he's right. <laughs> like, yes, but who made Mommy? <gasps> Daddy. Oh. All right, now we got a problem, okay? I didn't, yeah. I didn't feel like getting into the whole Adam and Eve with the rib thing. I just, I didn't feel like he could grasp it at it too. So. so I go, who made Daddy? Jesus did. Yeah, and Jesus made Mommy. And Jesus made you. And he loves you. Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that the one who created and sustained all things by the power of his hand, he looks at you and he says, if you're in Christ, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I've created everything for you, for you to enjoy so that you would enjoy it, and then you'd look to me and you'd go, thank you, Daddy, for giving me all good things. Thank you for being a good dad. See, I don't know if you realize this, but the the reason that the earth is not burned up by the sun, the reason that it isn't flung out into space, never to be heard from again, is because Jesus holds it in motion. The reason that all the planets are in their order is because he put them all there. The reason that the stars hang where they do in the sky is because Jesus said, I want that one there. And I want that one there. And I want that one there. Because in this arrangement, they're going to reflect my glory. And you scientific types are going, yeah, but like gravity. Well, who made that? (laughs) Jesus! (laughs) Learn the lesson from my son, yeah. (laughs) And that same one who holds all those things together, do you know what else he did? He came in the form of a baby and lived underneath earthly parents for 30 years so that he could grow up and begin a ministry that he could demonstrate what God is like to us and that he could take our place on the cross and die for the sins of the world. The people who rebel against God and who don't reflect his image, he comes and he takes our place so that we can be the children of God. Everyone who believes... If we don't understand who he really is, we'll reduce him to something that he's not. We'll say either he's really powerful and great, but he doesn't care a lick about me, or he, maybe he cares, but he's just, he's just a good guy. And no more than that. And So I can't look to him for everything else because he's just not able to carry the weight of those things. But think about it. This One who holds all things together. How big and awesome and mighty He is. Psalm 104 says this, How many are Your works, O Lord? In wisdom You made them all. The earth is full of Your creatures. There's the power, right? Everything's made by Him. And and then He goes on and He says this, There is a sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number. Power. Power. Living things, both large and small. There are ships that go to and fro, and sea creatures. And now, don't miss this. He says, "Which you form to frolic there." You see the creation and the care coming together in who God is. He both creates the expanse of the sea, and then makes creatures who, who whose sole purpose is to frolic in the ocean. So that we would go, man, isn't God playful? Isn't he wonderful? Doesn't he care? So now think back to the question I asked you when we started. Think of the problem that you're facing today. And I want you to take it, and I want you to place it next to Jesus, who is both infinitely powerful and unstoppably for you. Do you get both of those things? Who lives to intercede for you, making your request known before the Father. What would that lead you to do? I hope that it would lead you to cry out to him and say, Jesus, I know you made the galaxies, but I need your help today. Will you help me? And he does. He he cares for you because he created you to know him, and he's powerful enough to save you. So let me ask you, what's that do to your heart when I tell you that? What's that do? How does that affect the way that you approach the problems that you're facing? What would change? are some things? The perspective of how big God is and how his ability and why, my ability or the size of my problem. Yeah. Yeah, we might actually start to realize how small most of our problems are, Right? What else? I know God's telling you something in this moment. I just want to tease it out of you. How, how would it change if we really believe that God is both all powerful and, and unstoppably committed to us when we look at the problems that, are, that we're facing in life? What's that? Yeah. We, we wouldn't feel the need to take care of everything on our own, in our own strength, in our own power, right? Because we don't just have our power. We, we don't just have access to our power, right? We have access to the power of the one who created the universe. Do you know that if you're in Christ, the same spirit that raised him from the dead, that did the creative work of Jesus to, to bring him to new life, now lives in you? The one who made the universe? resides in your body? Now, I'm, I'm convinced that if we really believed that, we'd wake up and go, this is going to be a good day. Yeah. Yeah, we, we would look to that power more often than our own, would we not? If we really believed it? How often do we get up and we go, man, i got so much to do today, I just hope that I have enough strength to make it through the day. Do you hear what that's saying to God? I just did that yesterday. I'm being totally honest with you. We would, we would wake up and we go, I can't even get out of bed without acknowledging that you're the one that's going to give me power to overcome today. And so if I trust in something else besides you, please, Jesus, lead me to the end of myself so that I'd know how crappy that is for me. Yeah. I saw a hand over here too. Okay, just kind of echoing, yeah. yeah. What else? Yeah. Well, I mean, how often are we filled with fear and worry and anxiety? Yeah. We would have the peace of Jesus, right? Jesus faced some big stuff. I don't know if you realize that. His problems were probably more than yours. And mine. I mean, he had to raise people from the dead. He was constantly being fou- followed around by crowds. He had this group of people that just wanted nothing more than to see him dead. I mean, I don't care how strict or tough or unjust your boss is; um, he's probably not stalking you. <laughs> he's not. He's probably not plotting your a murderous revenge while you sleep. He, might want to. <laughs> he, he may want to. But that's why we have laws, right? <laughs> yeah. But also, like thinking about the fact that he, everything points back to him, but he doesn't sit worried about it. He yeah. allows his power to sustain. Yeah. 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 And then he gives that same power to those who are his, right? The way that his story ends is that he comes to those, his first group of people and he says, what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go in my name and do everything according to my power. Baptize people in a new identity so that they would know who I am and teach them how to walk out all the ways of their life according to the ways of God, and they can do it. Why? Not because of who they are, but because I have the authority and the power to do it in them so that we would be an accurate demonstration of who God is to the world. So the people would look at us and go, "Man, there is a people of peace there." Wonder what gives them that peace? It's Jesus. It's His power. It's not us. And too often, I think, even if we get it right, we, we start to live as though that power came from us, and we start to take the credit for it. Here's a, take a breath right now, deep breath <gasps> Thank you, God for that breath. Thank you. You're breathing now, and you're not even thinking of it. (laughs) And he's giving you each one of those. We we should be leading people back to to this reality so that they would understand that the power of the universe is the one that gives this grace to do all things. So what are you believing that's more powerful than the creator and the sustainer of all things? What are you hoping will save you Are you looking to finances? Are you looking to your job? Are you looking to the top corner of your paycheck and saying, the name of this company is my provider in everything? If you're not looking to Jesus, then you won't be able to stand because you won't be able to have the power to save yourself. And nothing else does other than Jesus. All things are sustained by Him. All things are created for Him. See, if you have the Christ, you have the one who made the universe in you. We've already said that. And, and so it should cause us constantly to cry out to him. Psalm 121 one says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? Relationships, my spouse, my weekends, my house, my, my fence that I can keep people at bay with. No. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so do we run to him? I hope you hear he, the same power that he uses to exercise his authority in all of creation. He longs to use it in your life to see you succeed in areas where you're weak. So that you would give glory to him. Lastly is this. It's because Jesus created everything. Everything points to him. Everything is sustained by him. And everything rests on him. Everything rests on him. So the question I want to ask you is, what is something that you're going through right now where you feel like you cannot find rest? You just feel like tired and weary and overburdened, like you can't get away from it. You can't put it down. Colossians says this, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. the word head there is kind of a a confusing one, but it means to have the authority to make decisions on the behalf of others and ultimately to take responsibility for them. So when someone is your head, they have authority to make decisions that affect you and they should take responsibility for you. And so you, you have a head of state, right? We have a president in this country does he make decisions that you don't get to be in the Oval Office for? Yeah. And sometimes we're not happy about those decisions, right? But he ultimately has to take responsibility for the decisions that he makes on your behalf, right? So if he decides to go to war, we go off to war, and we're affected one way or another. He has to take responsibility for that. One of our presidents says the buck stops here, right? Meaning I... There is no other responsibility that can take place other than here. Um, the, the Bible talks about the husband being the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. Men, I hope you know this: that you, you biblically, God will one day ask you how you cared for your family. You will stand before the the, the judge of the universe and give an account for how you cared for your family in a way that either reflected who he is and his love and care and tenderness and guidance for your family, or he will say you did none of those things. Men, we're, we're the head of our families. And, and in the same way, Jesus is the head of the church. So let me ask this. Do you, who is the head before Jesus? We've already talked about him a couple times. Adam. Adam was the head of the human race before Jesus is the head of the church. And so, according to the Bible, it says this, we all have two options before us. We can either have Adam as our head or we can have Jesus as our head. You you can't make any other decision. And, And if you read the story, Adam was the first one created, and so he has the authority. He's the firstborn to make decisions that affect the rest of us. And we already talked about the decision that he made. Because he made a decision to, to not to, to submit to God, but instead he trusted that he could do a better job than God to decide what was right and wrong. And because he had that authority, everyone who's been born since Adam is born into that same decision which is a posture and a nature which is automatically suspicious of God and says to Him, I'll do things my own way. Thank you very much. And you may say, look, I've been a a Christian since before I can remember. I mean, how can that really apply to me too? Well, you don't have to look long. I have a two-year-old son. And and the evidence of that nature and posture is, is in just about everything that he does. You know what the first word that he ever said was? No. (laughs) You know what was shortly thereafter? Mine. (laughs) Where did he get that from? (laughs) Caleb, who made you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mommy. Yeah. (laughs) There I go again. I'm Adam, shifting blame, right? It's this woman. (laughs) I mean, uh, the world says it's culture. Culture does it. But if you took an individual child and you put them in a room by themselves, they would still act out in selfishness. See, we can't get away from it. It's in our nature to make the world about us. So, to not have Jesus as your head is to have Adam as your head, who made the world about himself. And so we do the same thing. But he, here's, the, here's the bad news Adam makes a really bad head. He, just, he does. Because he, he's the worst kind, because he, he has responsibility or t- takes authority to make decisions on your behalf. And then what does he do with the responsibility? He punts it to everybody aside from Him. He shares it with everyone. And because of that, he, He shifts the blame onto you. And you get to share in the responsibility that comes from making the world about you and not about God. And because of that, the Bible says, we're under the penalty for making that decision. We share in its blame. Even though we weren't the ones to make the decision first, all of us would make the same decision because we're all under the same, the same issue. But for Christ to be the head of the church means that He steps in. He is completely unlike Adam because He both has the authority to make the decision and He takes responsibility for the decision. He says, I'm going to be the one that takes responsibility for these people. And so everyone who's in Me, everyone who's placed their trust in Me, I'm going to be their head which means I'll be the one that represents them before God and says, do not treat them according to what they've done. Treat them according to what I've done for them. See, He's the one who has authority, but He's also the one who takes responsibility. And so, don't misunderstand me here. This doesn't mean that just because you come to a building with a steeple on it at at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning that you're part of the church. It's the whole reason why we talk over and over and over again about the church being the people of God who are saved by the power of God for the purposes of God in the world. It is not about a service time or a building. Because you don't get the, the benefits of being in Christ just because you walk through a certain set of doors. But it does mean that if your faith is in Christ... If you look to him for your life, if you make him the preeminent one over your life, that you have one before God the Father who is using his power even today to say, let my life and my righteousness be for them their life and their righteousness because everything rests on me. And so what would this produce? if we really believed that, if we're really in Christ and that everything rests on Him, do you know what it would produce in us? Rest. Rest. We'd be able to rest. See, in Adam, all the authority is ours to decide how to live, but all the responsibility is ours too. So there's never any rest. You just work and work and you try to make up for things. You try to make yourself into a better person. You compare yourself to other people and you say, I'm better than that one. And all the time, you you know in your heart of hearts that you're falling well short of who you were intended to be because you're not that person. Compare yourself to Jesus and you'll know very quickly how you measure up. But if you're in Christ, there's rest. Rest. We rest in His finished work and in His new creation, the new creation He's making us to be. In other words, it's not up to you anymore. Do you believe that, church? You'd know because you'd rest. You'd know because you'd walk into work tomorrow and you'd go, I am not relying on my performance here to tell me who I am. And so I can work With all of his energy, but I'm not looking for this place to give me anything that I don't already have in Jesus. I I can parent my children, but I'm not looking to my children to go, Mom, you're a great mom, Dad, you're a great dad, so that I feel better about myself. I don't need to grow them up so that they go off to college and be successes out in the world so I can go, Yep, I'm a good person, look at them. I don't have to go to my son's soccer game and go, Yeah, he scored three goals. You know? And we, uh, it's everywhere, is it not? There is no rest. In Jesus, there is. I was remembering this late last night because I, I've had a pretty busy week myself. And um, and one of the things I realized when I got towards the end of it, and Mandy and I were talking, and she shared a song with me and we were kind of praying through it, and, and uh, I realized that all the stuff that I was going through was all about me. It was about my power, and it was for me, and, and I was working extra hard at certain things because I wanted to be thought well of by my peers and other people. I was looking to it to provide for me something that I should have not have looked to it to provide for me, which is my very identity. And so I had to repent, They go, Jesus, it's not about me. It's not sustained by me, and it doesn't rest on me. All those things are done by you. You're my creator. At the same time, I'll I'll end with this, that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, meaning that he is establishing a new start for his people. Sometimes when, when we're without rest, we think, what in the world is going to give me something new? Because every day just feels like the same thing day in, day out, over and over and over again to ad nauseum. Jesus is the firstborn among the dead, meaning that those who are in him are, are also conquerors over the grave. He, he is giving us a new start New hearts, a new spirit, new power, new ability to live, new hope for the future, where He comes to reign in victory over everything so that those who trust in Him no longer taste even death. I don't know if you realize this, but every fear that you have in life is connected to your fear of dying. You may have fear over bills that you need to pay and you don't have the money to do them, which is connected to your fear of sustaining and maintaining your own home, which is connected to your fear of being kicked out into the cold, which will affect your health and ultimately you're afraid of dying. I mean, you, could, you could run the reel back and find that everything leads back to that major fear. It is the ultimate conqueror of humanity. Everyone faces it. Everyone is conquered by it. But the one who overcame death for you means that you don't have anything to fear, including death. Because he overcame the greatest fear that you could ever have. That's why the Bible says that we don't mourn like the world mourns because, hey, it doesn't hold us captive anymore. So we can rejoice in it. We don't just have to look at somebody in the cast and go, well, they lived a good life. Let's celebrate that, but let's mourn the death. No, we... We mourn the loss, but we celebrate the victory of God in Christ to get them over death. If you never hear that at a funeral, then then it is not connected to Jesus Christ and His power to overcome the grave. We have hope to face even the most difficult of things. Because we have one who is victorious over death. That's our head. That's our king. And in him we're more than conquerors. I hope you know that. Do you believe that, church? Because of that, if you're in Christ, you and I should have every reason to believe that when we experience things in this world that are hard, that are burdensome, that are tiring, that get us downcast and keep us from looking at him, that we can expect that Jesus will carry that burden for us in addition to every other burden he carries. You know what Jesus says? He says, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. What's your yoke like? What kind of stuff are you going through? What feels like it's not surmountable in your life? Chances are, if it feels that way, you're not both trusting in Jesus' power and you're not looking to him for his burden. Church, I I want us to be an accurate demonstration of who God is. I think that's the whole reason why he's gathered us together as a people, so that we would be able to remind one another of who we are in Christ and who he is to us, that we wouldn't glorify ourselves or our church or our programs or the, the great community that God is doing here. We wouldn't we wouldn't point to any of the things that point back to us, we would point back to him and we go it's because of him and his work that we're who we are. Now I want us to be an accurate demonstration to one another so that we would be built up in Christ, and I want us to be an accurate demonstration to the world so that they would go, who is this wonderful maker? And can he sustain all things in my life? Can he be for me the rest and the peace of God? That's what people need to know. The question is, are they going to find it when they look at us? They will only find it if we're looking to Jesus as our great creator. Because he created everything, and he loves you. So let's look to him in prayer, okay? Jesus, you are all things. We acknowledge that you are the image of the invisible God. You're the firstborn. You created everything. In all the fullness of God, it dwells in you. So, Father, Jesus, forgive us when we look elsewhere. Jesus, we cry out to you. We know that you created all things. We know that you created us. We know that you came to save us. And so help us in our time of need. When we look elsewhere, give us confidence that our hope comes from you. Let it be said of us that when we are in times of need, where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So if our picture of who you are has been different... I pray that it would be corrected through the lens of Jesus. If we've been trying to sustain life apart from you in other ways, I pray that you'd lead us to lay those things down and to hold tightly onto you that sustains even the worlds spinning in their motion. And and I pray, Lord, that you'd give us rest. Thank you that you promised it for those that are yours. Thank you that in Christ we're more than conquerors. I ask that we would sing your praises as we come to know that more. In Jesus' name.